Terminal 2 was a mess, as usual. James was booked on the daily charter from Dubai to Baghdad, a notoriously erratic flight. It was September 2005, and this was the main way to fly into Iraq's capital from the Gulf. Whether that plane was going to take off or even show up was an open question. Even in good weather, you'd arrive in the morning at Terminal 2, put your bags through, and wait. The place was dreary. The only food came from a basic sandwich shop and a coffee trolley that occasionally rolled around. If you were lucky, you'd seat yourself in one of the few plastic chairs, sip your burnt coffee, and hope to leave that day. If nothing happened by three in the afternoon or so, someone in a uniform would wander in and say, Sorry, everyone. Try again tomorrow. James had already spent three days there when a well-dressed Iraqi named Ahmed sat down next to him and struck up a conversation. James was the only white guy in sight. Ahmed spoke excellent English, and to James, his blue eyes suggested that he was likely Kurdish. They recognized each other from around Bayop, Baghdad International Airport, and they got along immediately. James was a British soldier turned contractor, Ahmed a businessman, and at a certain level of Iraqi commerce, everyone who was anyone crossed paths. James didn't want to reveal too much about himself at first. As he says now, those were the bad old days in Baghdad. And if you didn't know exactly who you were talking to, it was best to stay quiet. But he found himself with plenty of time to discover that Ahmed had lived in Manchester, not far from where James grew up in Leeds, and that they had some mutual friends. Ahmed, James realized, was an especially well-connected businessman, the kind of guy who knew how to get 50 tractors, or 10 tons of copper wiring, or a meeting with the president. And I also own Iraq's duty-free rights, Ahmed announced. You don't say, James replied. Then maybe you can bring in some booze, mate. There's nothing decent to drink in country. Since the invasion 18 months earlier, alcohol had been hard to come by in the Green Zone, the fortified compound at the heart of the city, which now housed both the Iraqi transitional government and American diplomats and soldiers. Theater-wide, U.S. military personnel were prohibited from drinking by General Order No. 1, a policy intended as a gesture of cultural understanding, despite the fact that, for the 40 previous years, cities like Baghdad had a vibrant nightlife. GO1 notwithstanding, there was an entire occupying force in Iraq, and drinking followed. The Green Zone's rump of a social scene was informally carried out in containers, tents, and trailers inside one fortified encampment or another. James had been coming to Iraq since the invasion, and he had done plenty of grimy drinking in various makeshift quarters. He knew recreation was lacking. Like so much about Operation Iraqi Freedom, the war planners had given little thought to the logistics of leisure, which meant that, like everything else about Operation Iraqi Freedom, even R&R was ripe for enterprise. Another reason alcohol was a rare commodity in the green zone was the insurgency, which was raging out of control and making all commerce difficult, and especially commerce in something like booze, which was haram, or forbidden by Islamic law. Before 2005, you could drink in the open all over the city, but a Shia ascendancy and the accompanying violence had changed that. Ahmed, it seemed, had access to imported alcohol. Alcohol is not a problem, he said, but he couldn't get it into the green zone, the biggest market. Supply was tragically separated from demand. James realized Ahmed was suggesting they go into business together. I can get you many brands, he said, in volume. Call me when we're in Baghdad, said James. They exchanged numbers and went their separate ways. James didn't think much more of it at the time. He told a few people about the guy he'd met in Dubai, but Iraqis have a saying, one coincidence is worth a thousand meetings, and James wasn't expecting it when, three weeks later, Ahmed actually called. Are we on, James? Ahmed said. Reference our discussion. Not long ago, there were two guys chatting in an airport. Now, Ahmed was talking about container shipments, full of booze, already heading south. That's how easily deals can be made in Baghdad. We'll split it down the middle, Ahmed said. I'll take some off the top for expenses.